We are in week two of our mini-series uh, called Married Life Matters. And we're taking the, 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 the three weeks here in the middle and end of February uh, to just look at this whole concept and idea of married life and what is God's design for marriage. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth. It's in the Old Testament. Um, go ahead and just start open at the front of your Bible and just keep flipping the pages. You'll hit Ruth eventually. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. There, there it is. And, uh, we're gonna look, we're gonna, now buckle up, buckle up, alright? We're gonna look at the whole book of Ruth today, alright? So just sit back and I'm just gonna start reading, okay? No, I wouldn't do that to you. But we are, we are gonna look at the whole book of Ruth today, and that's part of my challenge to kinda give you an overview and then jump into it and pull some things out. But let me encourage you, if you have the time today or sometime this week, go ahead and read the whole book on your own. It's short, it's only four chapters. Um, it should probably only take you about 20, 25 minutes to get through it. And then if you do the audio reading, you know what I mean? Just, uh, select the audio, you know, put the, put the speed at 1.5 and you might be done in 15 minutes. So, um, but take it out of run, take it out of run and listen to the beautiful themes that emerge uh, from the book of Ruth. We're in uh, this, this book today because I want, I want us to think about marriage and what God has for us um, and what we're trying to discover or rediscover for God's design in marriage. You know, we live in a time where everything is being redefined. That's what I said last week. And and I thought the church should say something about marriage. I think if our culture, if our secular culture is going to redefine everything so that it fits their needs, actually what we might want to do and should do as a church is go back to the scriptures and say, well, what is God's design for marriage? We've seen the world's design. We know my design. We know my desires. We know the, the culture's design. We know social media's design. We know celebrities' design. It doesn't seem to be working out well in some instances. So the question is, well, what is God's design for marriage? Maybe maybe we should get back to that. Maybe we should discover that and see what God says about marriage. And so last week, we looked at, at God's ideal design in marriage between uh, uh, men and, and women who are to complement each other, celebrate their differences, and live a life of covenant commitment with each other. That's what we looked at last week. And along the way last week, uh, right as we ended that service um, or that message, I, I dropped in some thoughts and ideas from friends, from from uh, a question I put out on social media, how do we help people who are not married anymore, not married any longer? Well, how can we encourage them? And and some people who find themselves and are in that camp of not married anymore gave us some really good advice that I was very thankful and helpful for. Some very honest, uh, heartfelt suggestions. Yet we live in a hyper sexualized culture. And even a church culture that, that sometimes overtly and, and oftentimes implicitly says that we are less than if we're not married. Sometimes it's stated overtly, but sometimes it's, it's implied that we are less than if we're not married. And what do we do with that? How do we handle that? Is that really God's design? Is that what God 
wants for us. Because last week as we ended, our friends were telling us, I'm so glad we ended with this song a moment ago, that we need to find ourselves in Christ more than we need to find ourselves in another person. That whether you're married or not, or if you're thinking about being married or thinking about marriage again, the encouragement that we had from people who spoke up and said, please tell, please tell the congregation this. Find yourself in Christ first. That is the most important thing. Yet we live in a hypersexualized culture. And we live in a culture, even in the church sometimes, where it feels like, it feels like, if I'm not married, then I'm less than. And I can tell you today that that is not God's plan and that is not God's design. God's plan and that God's design is that we would reflect the image of God in our lives, married or not. If we choose to be married, it should look this way. God has a design for it. If we choose to be single, it should look this way. God has a design for that. But what happens, what happens when we stop and try to discover or rediscover again God's design for marriage? To take it out of the hands of culture and put it back into the words of God. What is that design? My question to us this morning is this. What does it look like in God's design of marriage if I ask myself, do I say I do again? Do I say I do again? Many of us in this room know people or have walked the road of being married, not being married, for whatever reason, And then asking the question of ourselves, will I marry again? Will I, will I enter into another relationship? Do I move forward? Is that God's will and God's design for my life? What, what should I do? And many people have wrestled with that. And this morning, what I wanted to do is approach this topic with with some honor and some dignity to those who are no longer married, recognizing the, 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 the numerous reasons and factors that are there, and simply ask, what does God say about that? The book of Ruth uh, is this beautiful love story of second chances and remarriage. And this week I was trying to think of what verse do I give to, to help us think through this question of, of do I say I do again? What, what verse, what topic, where do we go with that? And, and, uh, there are a number of different ways we could have approached this this morning, but I really felt like the Lord whispering to me earlier this week, uh, cause I'll, I'll be honest with you, I stepped off the stage last week and people were like, well, where are we going next week? I'm like, I don't know yet. <laughs> We'll figure it out when we get there. So I don't know. But I felt like the Lord whispered to me the book of Ruth, the story of Ruth. And so I started to to reread that again. And it's this, if you've read it, you know this. If you haven't, trust me on this. It's this beautiful love story of second chances and remarriage. 
There are, there, there, there are a number of spiritual overtones, uh, in this short book. There is a, there's a Christ-like figure. There's salvific themes written and sprinkled throughout this story. All in all, I believe it gives us some things to consider. If we find ourselves now or in the future of asking ourselves, do I say I do again? I think if we look at the book of Ruth, we can get some encouragement from that. And that's what I would like to do this morning. So let me set the scene. Let me set the scene because we don't have time to go through verse by verse of all four chapters. But let me set the scene. Naomi uh, is married to her husband and they have two children. The land uh, begins to experience a famine and they decide we're going to move from Bethlehem to Moab. And so Naomi and her sons move from Bethlehem to Moab. And while they're there, their sons marry uh, women, two women, one son for each, right? They marry two women in Moab. Over the course of time, over the course of 10 years, Naomi's husband dies. And the daughter and the sons of Naomi die. 10 years later, they've moved from the land that they knew to this new land, trying to find uh, a a new life. Husband, sons, sons marry, weddings, wedding receptions, all the nine yards. 10 years later, the husband and the two boys are dead. Naomi is a widow and her daughter-in-laws are widows. And Naomi says, I'm not going to stay here anymore. I'm going back. I'm going to go back to the, to my home. It sounds reasonable, right? When you, when you've left your home and you've, you've, you've had some, some challenges where you're, I'm, I'm going to go home to what's familiar to, to friends and family that I knew before. And she turns to the two daughters and she says, I, I don't want you to follow me. You go live your own lives. You're young. You're beautiful. Go live your own lives. Go, go find new husbands. Go find new families. Go live your own lives. Don't come back with me. And the one, the one daughter-in-law says, uh, bless you. And, and, and she goes on and, and lives her own life. But, but this other daughter-in-law, Ruth, Ruth says, no, I'm, I'm coming back with you. I'm coming with you. And so they both come back, uh, to Bethlehem to live. And one writer writes that after Ruth loses her husband, one of the things that we see in this story is that that she continues to stay and care for her mother-in-law. She meets a man named Boaz who treats her well, and they end up living happily ever after. It's a great love story. It's something you'd see on Hallmark, right? Around Valentine's Day, right? Flipping the channels. I don't know, like Christmas, they all wear plaid. I'm not sure what they wear on Hallmark Channel on Valentine's, but... You know, Boaz shows up in his suit and whatever, and, you know, Ruth's doing her. You would see the story is a hallmark romance. It really is. But there are a couple things that we see in this story that I want us to consider as we move through seasons of marriage, seasons of being not married, and then asking the question, do I say I do again? The first thing I want us to see is Naomi, the mom, the mother-in-law, Naomi's reaction to everything that has gone on. The book of Ruth, chapter 1, verse 19, says this. Now, they're on their way back from Moab. The, the, uh, her, her husband has died. The sons have died. The one daughter-in-law has gone off somewhere else. Naomi and Ruth are coming back. 
Ruth chapter 1, verse 19. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Now, Naomi, parenthetically, Naomi means pleasant. Her name means pleasant. Don't call me, don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. The word, the name Mara means bitter. So they come back to town. The, the town is stirred. Hey, Naomi's back. Look, she's, she's bringing her daughter. Oh, they're back in town. And, and, and is that you, Naomi? And she goes, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant. You can almost hear, see the countenance by the tone of the writing, right? Don't call me name. Don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Naomi has this very visceral response to what's happening in her life. If there's one thing that I would encourage us to do today is when we find ourselves in these moments and seasons of loss, to not be afraid to do as Naomi did and be honest about the season that we're in. There is a tremendous amount of pain and loss that Naomi is going through. And to her credit, she names it for what it is. She doesn't try to put on a a plastic smile. She doesn't try to fit into the crowd and make go of everything as though happy-go-lucky, nothing's happened. No, this is a very serious situation. This is my life. This is what has happened. And this is how I feel. She names her thoughts. She names her feelings. She has this honest conversation uh, between her and God and the people around. This is how I feel about God right now. I feel like he took everything away from me. I feel empty and broken. I think there's tremendous value in being honest in where we are. Can I tell you that God can handle it? Can I tell you that God can handle our honesty? He can handle our pain. He can handle our stress. He can handle when we don't understand and we verbalize that, God's big enough to handle that. Hang on to the story of Naomi. We're going to come back to it at the end, and it's remarkable. The first thing I want us to understand is it's okay to vent our emotion and our feeling and be honest. I see it as a cathartic step towards a path of healing. So the story moves forward and Naomi and Ruth settle into new rhythms of their life. One thing that we notice is Ruth's uh, commitment to character. Ruth is committed to her character. She's committed to her character by supporting her mother-in-law when she didn't have to, by by helping around the home, by building a life uh, with her mother-in-law when she didn't have to. If there's one thing that I want us to understand from the, 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 the story that we see here today is that in God's design of marriage, character matters. 
who we are as a person, how we develop our lives, how we live out our lives, who the other person is that we're considering seeing or dating or engagement or married to, the character of that other person matters. These things matter to us, and they should matter to the other person. If you're asking the question, do I say I do again? Let's look at the character that is being developed in our hearts and in our lives. She is, Ruth has, has in, in her own grief, remember, Ruth is just like Naomi, lost her husband. Ruth, in her own grief, in her own loss, is committed to being a woman of noble character. She's turned her heart and commitment to her mother-in-law. And she's coming to a new town, to a new life, committed to helping where she's at. Just before Naomi talks about her bitterness, Ruth and Naomi have this, this interaction of whether Naomi, or whether Ruth should follow or not. And it says this in Ruth chapter one, verse 16. But Ruth replied, cause Naomi's like, don't cut, don't follow me. Go, go live your own life. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave it or to turn your back, my back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Look at the character of Ruth. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be, will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Did you hear what Ruth is saying? I am giving my life to you. I am willing to follow you. I'm willing to, to help you out. Ruth doesn't just come to live with Naomi, but, but she contributes to the home. She goes out into the harvest fields and, and gleans the, the leftover grain. She's caring for herself and her mother-in-law. And she's taking the next steps in life. Ruth didn't sit and wallow in her pain. It was hard. It was challenging. But what she did is she committed to the care of her relatives. She committed to the care of her family. And when there was no other option, she stayed with her family. I'll go with you. And I'm not just going to go. I'm going to, I'm going to contribute. I'm going to commit. I'm going to be a part of it. And I'm going to take the next step in life. And as she does this, this is where we meet Boaz. You can almost like hear the harp playing in the background, right? As Boaz walks over the mountain, over the hill, crests the top of the hill and looks down at his field, right? I'm envisioning some, you know, good looking actor, you know, over the crest of the hill looking down on his field and he says, hey, who's that new woman working in my field? Who's that new woman gleaning the crops? Who is that? Boaz owns the field, and we come to find out, happens to be, quote unquote, a relative of Naomi's husband. You see, in this culture, the widows were were permitted to glean from the field uh, what was fallen and left behind from the hired harvesters. So the harvesters would go out and harvest the crops and the widows were allowed to come behind and pick up what was left. Ruth goes out 
to glean from the field. She, she's working hard. It, it, it's noticed in that she's working hard to provide for herself and Naomi. And Boaz asks, asks some of his employees, hey, who is, who's, 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 who's that one? Who's, what's her name? And it's her character. It's her character that inspires her. Look at what he said in, in Ruth chapter 2, verse 11. It says this, So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean another field, and don't go away from here. See, I think, I think she caught his eye. Right? Come on, read this as a love story, all right? She caught his eye. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the fields where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. Look at what he did. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And wherever you go and whenever you are thirsty, go ahead, go ahead, take a break and get a drink from the water jars that my men have filled. Verse 11. I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law. Look at what Boaz has heard. I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother. So listen to what Boaz is saying. I've heard what you've done and I understand what you've gone through. You left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. Verse 12. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And now you see the story develop. What was it about Boaz? What was it about Ruth that attracted Boaz? Her character. Her character to take care of her mother-in-law, her character to, to come from a land where, where she was safe and secure to a new land. It was, it was her character. It was the way she worked. If you read the passage, it wasn't just how she looked, but it was the way she worked. She was a hard worker. It caught her, caught his eye. And he is a man of character himself. Do you see that? Look at what he said about her. Look at the things that he noticed, the distinguishing things that jumped out to him. It was about who she was. And it was about what he did after that. Go ahead and take a break when you need to take a break. Don't leave this place. I'm going to, I'm going to give instruction that, that it's okay for you to be here. I'm going to make sure that you are safe and secure. At this, I think my side note on this entire story and for our time this morning is simply this. Character matters. If we want to attract people of good character, we need to be people of good character. If we're wondering why we keep attracting a certain type of person in our life, maybe we need to look in the mirror and ask ourselves, am I really that kind of person? Married life matters, and in God's design, character matters. Who we are, how we live, the things that we care about, the people that we care about matters. 
and it sets up this beautiful story of God doing something again in our hearts and in our lives. Ruth chapter 2, verse 14. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come on over here. Have some bread and, and dip it in the wine vinegar. And when she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. Do you, you see what he's doing? Hey, come sit with me. Come over here. Come dip into my cup. Come have some. The other ladies weren't getting it. The other women weren't getting to sit next to Boaz and dip in the wine and get the roasted grain. Do you see the story? Do you see the romance? Do you see Boaz playing this out with her? When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even, hey, here's what I want you to do. Don't tell her. But as you're going to harvest, pull out some of the stalks, wrap them up, and just lay them on the ground. Like, don't put them in your bag. Don't, don't put them in your bag. When you, when you pull them up, wrap them up, lay them down, so that Ruth can get not just the gleaning, but the whole thing. Pull out some of the stocks for her and the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. Boaz is smitten. Right? And what's he doing? Care and protection. I'm going to care for her. Make sure her her character was so high, it attracted him to her, and he responded in kind. I'm going to care for this person and protect this person. And then Naomi, the mother-in-law, gets into the picture. Because she says, so Ruth comes home, right? And Naomi says, hey. Tomorrow, like when they go down and they start processing all this, like at the next time, why don't you get a, take some time, like, like go in and get a, get a nice hot shower, right? Get some, put some nice perfume on, right? Put some nice clothes, like dress up, dress up real nice and go down and meet Boaz. The mom, mom-in-laws know, right? They know. She's, she's playing matchmaker. And so Ruth goes down and meets Boaz, chapter 3. This is where this is. And in the cultural context of this love story, in essence, what Ruth does is proposes marriage to Boaz. Would you please take care of us? Would you please marry me? Would you please bring me into your family? This, when you read 3 and everything that she does, that's what's going on. Because Because uh, Boaz isn't just the relative. He's what Scripture calls the kinsman redeemer. He's the one who is the guardian of the family. You see, when somebody dies in the family, the next male in line is the one that's supposed to take care of the family. 
the guardian redeemer, the kinsman redeemer. Boaz just happens to be the kinsman redeemer to Naomi's family and to Ruth. One writer notes that that a kinsman redeemer is a male relative who has the responsibility to help a relative in need or in danger. They deliver, they rescue, they redeem. They deliver, they rescue, they redeem. What is Boaz doing in his in his story right here? He's delivering, he's rescuing, he's redeeming. What does God do for us in Jesus? Delivers, rescues, redeems. Boaz is a Christ-like figure in the story of Ruth. Ruth chapter 3, verse 10. Boaz, understanding what's going on, and probably happy to pick up on marrying Ruth, has this moment, though. And he says, you know what? In actuality, I'm not the next in line. There's another one who's closer to you. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go down and, and talk to him. He says to Ruth, uh, the Lord bless you, my daughter. The kindness is greater than, than that which you showed earlier. You've not run after younger men, whether rich or poor. Again, he's talking about her character. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do all you ask. All the people in my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it's true, I'm your guardian, redeemer, kinsman, redeemer. There's another who's more closely related. Stay here for the night and in the morning. If he wants to do that, his duty as the redeemer, kinsman, redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. Did you notice that Boaz didn't take advantage of the situation? Again, his character is rising to the top. This is all great. I like her. She likes me. There could be something here. This could be a thing. I think we're good for each other. But I have to be honest with where I am in the line of succession here, in the line of redeemer, in the line of guardian, kinsman, redeemer. I'm not, I'm not the next. His character rises above his emotion. And he goes out and, 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 uh, uh, Long story short, he inquires to the guy who, who's actually next in line. Long story short, the guy's like, nah, I'm good, man. If you want, if you want to redeem, uh, uh, Naomi husband, Naomi's husband's, uh, line and, and take Ruth with you, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm good with that. You do it. And Boaz goes back and he marries Ruth. He redeems the family. Culturally, and he helps redeem you and me spiritually. Boaz and Ruth, some years later, had a son. 
You know what his son's name is? Obed. Obed became the father of Jesse. Jesse is the father of David. Jesus comes from the line of David. Jesus' great-grandparents were Ruth and Boaz. The kinsman redeemer in the story of Ruth not only redeemed his family, but set in motion or continued in motion the redemption of you and me through Jesus. Because character matters. Character rises to the top. Character is something to be valued. Don't miss this. Jesus, who came from this line, comes from a family of remarriage and one that was built on noble character. Warren Wearsby, um, former pastor at Moody Church in Chicago and director of Back to the Bible Radio Ministry, looks at this story and notes a few of the following. I'm going to give them to you real quick. They'll be on the screen. What do we take away from this story? A few things real quick. First of all, no matter how difficult the situation, if we surrender to the Lord and obey him, he will see us through. No matter the situation, God will see us through. If we surrender and obey him. Number two, no person is so out, out, so far outside God's reach, uh, out, outside the reach of God's grace, that he or she cannot be saved. You, you can say whatever you want to say about God and, and how he, how you feel and where you're at, but you know what? We're never, never, never outside of his reach of grace. Number three, God providentially guides those who want to obey him and serve others. You need to trust that God's leading you. Do I, do I enter into a new relationship? Do I get married again? Do I, do I say I do again? I don't know. Is this a story that tells us you definitely should get married again? No. But it's giving us some, some, some cues and some values, some questions to ask if we're, if that's going through our head. What is the character like of the other person? What kind of character do I have? Maybe, maybe I need to work on my character before I start looking for somebody else to fill some of the other voids in my life. And maybe as I look for the character, as I work on my character, I am clear about the type of person, the character that I'm looking for in someone else. Wearsby continues, number, uh, number four. There are no small decisions with God. There are no small decisions. Ruth's decision to glean in the fields led to her becoming the grandmother of Christ. Not a small decision. God uses it. God works in it. God anoints it. Finally, it's wise to wait on the Lord and let him work out his loving purposes. Does this guarantee that we'll find love and love again? No. But it's a great reminder, emphasizing what our friends said last week, that we need to be found in Christ first and foremost, our character, their character. 
has to be the highest. Working on our heart and, and character and looking for someone else of noble character. And I'll say it a thousand times if I have to this year. This is why we have support groups here at First Alliance. This is why we have grief share. This is why we have divorce care. This is why we have divorce care for kids. This is why we have a, a group that, 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 that meets with the widows of our church. This is why we encourage men and women to be in small groups. This is why we encourage you to find two or three or five other people that you can be in community with so that you can be building your character, sharing your heart, sharing your life, and discovering what God has for you as the right next step. Because if we leave it to chance, if we leave it to culture, if we leave it to social media, if we leave it to our celebrities, we will take uh, uh, steps and move in directions that God may or may not be asking us to move towards. This is why we have these groups. And I would urge you, if you find yourself in any of those situations, to take advantage of those groups and find the healing that comes and the encouragement and the friendship and the power of God moving in our hearts and our lives again as he moves and brings healing to us. Amen? Amen. Has anybody been in one of those groups I've mentioned? Anybody? If the group has done zero help for you, put your hand down. Now put your hand back up. It is helpful. It changes lives. Now, give me a minute because I want to show you what happened to Naomi. Remember Naomi, we started a few moments ago and she said, don't call me, don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. Did you ever hear stories about bitter old ladies? <laughs> I don't know. I think Naomi was the poster child, right? What happened? What happened? Well, well, Ruth and Boaz have a child. Their child's name is, is, uh, is, um, what's his name? See, you are paying attention. Chapter four, verse 16, it says this. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. Not Ruth, not Ruth, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. A few moments ago, a few moments ago, Ruth was cry, or Naomi was crying out in pain because of her loss crying out that God, what did she say? God did what to her? God, well, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune to me. That's how the story opens. How does the story close? Naomi has a grandson lying in her lap whose grandson one day would die on a cross for us. This story is a story and a reminder that God redeems all stories. He redeems families and he redeems futures. 
You may be sitting here this morning and saying, I have no idea how to handle the situation I'm in right now. Could be a marriage, could be a divorce, could be, could be the death of a loved one, could be the, the challenges of children in our home, and we're saying, I don't know how to handle what's going on, and I'm here to say to you, God is faithful. Be honest about the hurt, be honest about the pain, but work on your character. Because for those who surrender their hearts and lives to Christ, God is working. We don't know how it's going to work out. We don't know when it's going to work out. But the promises of Scripture are sure and true. God is faithful and God is good. Amen? Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? Father, this morning, some of us need to be reminded of that. We're in hard places. We're in places we don't like. We're in places where we would call it misfortune. We would call it empty. We would call it broken. And God, today we need you. And so I, would, I, I pray that if we find ourselves there, we would simply pray this, God, help me. Help me. And for some of us, as we consider marriage again, I pray that we would be more concerned about the character of ourselves and the character of the person across from us than we are about anything else in our brokenness and, and loneliness and pain. That we would let, we would let the development of our character in Christ take the lead in these relationships. And then whatever will happen will happen. Encourage us today. And again, if we need help, let us cry. Help. We give ourselves to you, God. In the name of Jesus. Amen and amen.